Hallelujah. Turn over to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, we'll start in verse 12. I'm going to read out a couple of translations. Uh, the New American Standard says it this way. Not that I have already obtained it, Paul's writing. He said, not that I've already obtained it or have already become perfect. Now, this is not perfection, you know, and this is where many believers get hung up as they'll see this word in a particular translation of the Bible, and then you typically hear them later on in life say, well, you know, we're just not perfect, all right? Well, God never said we were going to be perfect. The word here really is talking about maturity, okay? And, and, and really what Paul's saying, we'll see in this next translation, is that, you know, there's still more that he's trying to attain to and grow into, He's not saying, I know it all, is what he's saying. And if you ever get to the place that you feel like you know it all, you're in trouble. Really, what you are is you're in pride, not in knowing it all. That's what you're in. And so you don't want to be in that place. So, but you need to get word perfect out of your mind as far as God wants us to be perfect. God, we are perfect in Christ. Okay, we are complete is really the word that he uses. And then we can grow to that standard and attain to a standard of maturity so that we can walk, talk, and live like Jesus did when he was here while we're here. Okay? It's not something that we get to just when we go to heaven. And then he goes on, he says, But I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. So in essence, Paul's saying, I'm trying to grab hold of that which was presented to me when Christ got a hold of my life. In essence, when Christ got a hold of his life, his life changed. Not that he just get born again. His life assignment changed. He found his purpose. It's not good enough to just be born. You need to know why you're born. The Lord just doesn't want you to get born again. He wants you to know why you're being born again. He wants you to have the why behind you, you receiving Christ as your Lord and Savior. The why is not to go to heaven. That's not the why. That's not the why. The why is not to keep you out of eternal damnation. That's not the why either. Those are what we call byproducts, meaning when you become born again, you get to be present with the Lord and you get uh, out of the judgment you deserved. That's a byproduct of receiving Christ. The why you got born again is so that you could find your place within his body that he's going to assign to you so that you can fulfill a purpose for him while you remain in the earth. Now, I'm not here to diminish heaven or, or being present with the Lord, but you understand, God's not waiting for us to go to him. He came to us. He didn't say, well, now you're born again. I can't wait to see you when you get up here. No, he came to come live in you. It is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So if you're begging to see God, just start praying. If you're begging to see God, start reading the word because that's him. He will, he, you have the third person of the Godhead on the inside of you. And he will talk with you and spend time. You can't get any closer. Amen. But you got to cultivate this thing. So he's saying, man, I'm trying to lay hold of the assignment. He stopped me on the road to Damascus and said, son, you're on the wrong road. And you stay on this road, you against me. And that's a problem. That's problematic. But Paul's like, who are you, Lord? He said, I'm Jesus Christ, the one you are coming against. So he made Jesus Lord on that road. 
And then Jesus began to say, now listen, you're going to go to this house, the guy's going to come lay hands on you, and I'm going to put you before kings. I'm going to take you to great nations. You're going to work for me. Now, you're going to suffer some things in the process. I don't know if Paul was like, man, I'm going to go before kings. Man, he's going to bring me before great nations. And he did a Peter moment where he didn't hear the rest of the suffering. He just heard all the good stuff that was going to take place. We don't know that, but the reality is uh, if Paul knew all that he was going to go through, uh, be like most of you, you wouldn't even have started a course. So, but you know, he got to Kings. He just got to Kings sometimes ways that maybe we wouldn't have picked ourselves. You know, how many love to see the president go have a conversation? How many like to go see him in chains though? Maybe not so. I mean, you just as soon just be invited to the White House to a ball, you know, an event, and you get to meet him personally, sit at his table, not where they bring you in and call you this massive terrorist. Now, it can go that way because we, we throw the word extreme around a lot, like extreme Christians. And could a president get into power, voted into power in the United States, that all of a sudden they hate everything Christians stand for? And you would be labeled... An extremist. It could happen. And you get invited to see the president because you've got one of those churches that's doing, moving in the power of God and they're trying to shut it down. And the Lord brings you up. And then you don't do, you just do scripture. You don't have to worry about what to say because when he brings you before people, the Holy Ghost will give you the words to say. Hallelujah. Amen. So my point is, is that maybe we don't understand all of life's journey to get us to destination, but Paul did know this. I'm striving for it, okay? He need to strive for it. Verse 13, he says, Brethren, I do not regard my life, again, as laying hold of it yet, which means this, you should have a life's assignment that it's going to take you really a lifetime to get there. So be patient with yourself, okay? But one thing I do, one thing, man, if I had all the stuff Paul's done who wrote over half of the New Testament, we probably ought to listen to what he's saying about this one thing. Right. There's one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. Say, forgetting what lies behind. Tell your neighbor, forgetting what lies behind. Just say, forget about it. Forget about it. Now, we have a guy over in our first service, uh, Brother Richie Beard. If y'all know who he is, he's from New Jersey originally, and he transplanted uh, down here to uh, Florida, and Florida accent has done nothing in his life. He still sounds like he's from Jersey. And so I, when, I, when I was studying over this this morning, I heard him say, forget about it. <laughs> now, I may not be doing the Jersey accent justice, but I heard it in my spirit. Forget about it. Just forget about it, right? And so uh, uh, we just need to forget about it, okay? And he goes on and says, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us, therefore, as many as are perfect. Again, there's that word that scares everybody, but it just means mature. Have this attitude, and if anything, and if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. The next translation will explain exactly what that means. Instead of me spoiling it, I'll wait till you read it, Okay? In case you have a different attitude. Verse 16, however, let us keep living by the same standard to which we have attained. There's one thing that I find interesting is that, you know, we, and I've ministered a message on this, that God's people have always had this challenge with remembering, with remembering. Yet, Paul tells us to forget. You think that would been an easy thing. Yet, throughout Scripture, God is having to do memorials and different things in front of his people to get them to remember me. Remember me. 
So you think since we're so good at forgetting, how come we can't forget our sins, our failures, our issues, our upbringing, what happened to different nations, what's going on? Why do we want to hold on to a victim mentality and not get a victory mentality? Why does this happen? I mean, why are we so easy to remember what so-and-so did to me, but yet we can't remember the scripture about forgiving them, loving them, and pressing on? You begin to talk to some people, and they'll be like, let me tell you what they did. And, I, 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 and they're just like, wow, we could write a book right now. I mean, everything that's going on in your life. This church hurt you, and that pastor hurt you, and this person hurt you, and this person did this at work, and this person did this here, and you just go on. You victim, you victim, you victim. But man, somebody gets over in the victory and be like, you know what? That last job was awesome. And you're thinking, the last job you had, I was with you. It was a horrible job. You know, I just don't remember that. Because I learned how to forget people who done me wrong, people who talked behind my back, people who tried to, uh, you know, mess me up, people who tried to take my position, people who, you know, manipulated, people who gossiped, people who did. I just forgot about that stuff. Yes. Yes. Amen. Amen. I find that in my life, I've become pretty, perf I've been become mature, I would say, proficient in forgetting wrongs. Yes. And you know what? Love actually helps us with the process. First Corinthians chapter 13, when you read four through eight, you know, love is patient, love is kind, we like all that. But we get into this one part where it says, love does not take in account a suffered wrong. Love has a way of forgetting. Yes. Amen. Now, here's the thing. You need to get in true repentance for forgiveness to actually show up and forgetting to get in line with your life. God will move your, remove your sin as far as the east is from the west if you are truly repentant. Now, we're not talking about being sorry. You know, I'm sorry I got caught, and I'll just do it a little better next time so nobody will know. See, that person's heart's not changed, which means then, guess what? I'm not trying to re remind you of all your wrong stuff. I'm just saying you've not actually repented of any of the stuff in the first place. Now, we know this is true because on Wednesday we talked about one of these um, evil uh, slaves, wicked slaves that came up to the master when he said, you need to give an account of what you've done with my money. And he came up to him and he owed him so much money he couldn't pay it in his lifetime. And he says, you and your wife and your kids are going to jail and we're going to torture you till I get all my payment. And he begged him, oh, don't do it. Please don't do it now. Give me time. I'll do it all. And he knows there's no way you can pay me back. It's impossible. But he felt compassion for him. And it says, I'll forgive you your debt. And he left. The minute he walked out the door, he had the same corrupt, wicked heart. Because he gets out and finds one of his fellow workers that owes him a day's wage. Yeah. Just a day. And he grabs him and says, where's the money you owe me? And he goes, man, I don't know. So he grabs him by the throat and chokes him. You need to pay me. And he goes, just, and he begs him, please. The same words he just said to the master of a debt he could not pay. And this guy could if he just gave him some time. Said, give me, a, you know, get, give me some time. I'll get it paid back. He said, no, and he threw him in jail. Now the other guys go, what is happening here? This guy just got forgiven by the master of all of his debt, and he's going to come out here and get mad over a dollar? Seriously? And they were like, this just ain't right. So he went back to the master and told him. He said, bring that boy in here. Brought him back in, and he says, I showed you compassion. I had mercy on you. Should you not have done the same? You didn't reflect my character. You just didn't want to get in trouble, but you don't want to act like the king. So he said, no, you're going to pay your debt now. 
See, God doesn't just want to forgive you of your debt. He wants you to reflect his nature. So many people just want forgiveness of sin, but not reflect nature. That's not the life God called us to be. This is not about get out of your sin issue so you can go to heaven issue. This is get out of your sin to get a new nature so you can reflect the nature of the, of the creator. This is how you were created in the first place. In the, uh, in the beginning, you know, uh, we know God created the heavens and the earth. And he said, then let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let him have rule or dominion. How was man created? In our image and in, and in his likeness. So again, God wants us to reflect him. So again, when you uh, do things wrong or make a mistake or whatever the case may be, you need to actually repent. And John the Baptist was saying this about people. He said, you need to keep a lifestyle in keeping with repentance. If you say you ain't going to do it anymore, then don't do it. Don't do it. You should habitually live things right. Let's look at this in the message translation, Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 to 16. He says, I'm not saying that I have it all, uh, I have this all together, that I have it made, but I am well on my way reaching out for Christ who has so wondrously reached out for me. Friends, don't get me wrong. By no means do I count myself an expert in all this, but I've got my eye on the goal where God is beckoning us onward to Jesus. I'm off and running, and I'm not turning back. So let's keep focus on that goal, those of us who want everything God has for us. If any of you have something else in mind, something less than total commitment, God will clear your blurred vision. You'll see it yet. Verse 16, now that we're on the right track, let's stay on it. And it's so important to realize that God is training and teaching you something to, to get you to a standard and continue to, to get you to go from faith to faith, glory to glory. Now, when he gets you to a particular standard, you're never supposed to backslide from that standard. You're supposed to live to where you attained. So the truth you know is where you need to be. And you need to attain it. You need to stay there. You need to not go backwards. You need to always go forward. See, when I look out in this congregation, I know we have people called Kingdom Institute graduates. And through three years of teaching, not only Kingdom Institute graduate, but we have Mighty Men 318 graduates. And I know what you're being taught. I know how through both of those um, um, classes and schedules, three years long, both of them independent of each other, three years, you've learned that if you're going to be a leader, you need to serve. So when I pull up planning center for Anchor Faith Church and start looking at people serving in the church, I should see every alumni in there doing something. I mean, if we're not, you've not attained. You've backslidden. You've pulled back. You should be pressing, moving forward, passionate. We've taught you that, you know what? Serving ain't going to always be easy, comfortable, feel great, but that's all right. You know how to put your flesh down because we trained you how to do that. We trained you how to serve, uh, uh, move forward, stay with the life of God. I mean, I should see graduates running up to the front, worshiping God at a moment's notice. I should see graduates, you know, serving and saying, where else? Where? Why? Because you know the word. We don't teach so you sit. We teach so you do. We're doers. Now, you may say, well, man, I don't want to do all that work. That's all right. God's going to clear your blurred vision. Why? Because you have been placed in the body to do the work of the ministry. Work is not a bad word. It's the plan of God for your life. 
Now, you're not working out salvation. Jesus did what you couldn't do, and that is get right with God. But once you're right with God, then you should want to wholeheartedly serve him and his church. Well, pastor, you know, I've been doing the children for five years. I'm ready to retire. Nobody retires in five years. <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, people aren't retiring in five years. I mean, unless they get, you know, making big money and sell their companies. I, I get that. But, you know, a lot of them, what are they doing with their life in general, you know? Uh, what good is it a man to gain the whole world and forfeit a soul? But, I mean, just through. You know, you know I, I'm not going to serve anymore. You give jobs two-week notices. I mean... Honestly, if some people stayed out of work as often as they declined doing some service with the church, man, you only got so much sick leave. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. I just don't understand why the world gets more commitment. Because the world didn't die for us. Jesus died for us. He is the head of the church. Hallelujah. Amen. And it's worth serving. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Why? Because it's a reward for you. Yeah. It's a reward for your life, for what you're doing. Amen. Because, you know, I'm going to do mine. I'm going to do exactly what God's called me to do. I'm going to press on. Why? I'm like Paul. He's apprehending me, and I've got to go. I've got to do it. I have to do it. Sometimes I just want to stay at the house for months. <laughs> And not come out. <laughs> you know, I just want to stay here. Turn off the lights, right? No, because you know your life's not your own. If Jesus couldn't do it without putting himself down, we're going to have to do the same thing. But what's the reward? The reward's greater yeah. than anything ever. Because, man, when we look at these 600 teenagers that would be at East Coast Camp, when we get there and look, we're looking at a whole other generation from the 6th grade to the 12th grade. We're looking at them, and we're able to tell them about who they are in Christ and who the king is and how they can serve him. My gosh, man, it gets you excited. Yeah. Amen. Pastor Marcus, where are you at? And he's he boxing something up. Yes, he is. Joshua, are you with him too? Yes. <laughs> They're both complete failures right now, and I was fixing to talk good of them. I'm just kidding. Todd! He's back there, too. They're all getting ready. Both, all three of those guys specifically. There he is, Pastor Marcus, yes. Pastor Marcus, man, when he was 17 years old. See, it's just better stay in church, guys. I'm just telling you right now. Stay in church, right? He was 17 years old when I went to Sand Springs, Oklahoma, right? And why did I go? Because I've been apprehended. Listen, my life's not my own, and the last place I wanted to do is go back to Oklahoma because I'm not originally. Now, I have nothing wrong with Oklahoma. I love it. I love it. I go there all the time. It's like a second home. But I, it wouldn't have been my choice, but it was God's choice. And when I was there, I hooked up with this guy at 17 years old. Man, when I was 17 years old, my life was a mess. When I was 17 years old, man, I was running, doing all kind of stuff that was completely ungodly and went to church on Sunday. Didn't know who I was in Christ, wasn't filled with the Holy Ghost. I didn't know anything. Well, he was having a little identity crisis himself, but we got together. And I'll never forget, man, we went to a particular place he was, uh, sit at, was at because, I mean, he just really got depressed. And this is nothing you don't know, but he was really depressed, you know, and he was thinking maybe I should check out. But he didn't. And I went and showed up to that place, you know, that was there to kind of keep a watch on him, and I 
started talking about who he was in Christ and he found himself. Amen. Well, you understand? You're how old now? 30, 36 years old. Listen, I didn't even have a home until I was 35 years old. This guy had a house long before I did. This guy got filled with the Holy Ghost long before I did. This guy worked, operated in ministry long before. I didn't even go to Raymond's house, 28. This guy right here is years ahead of me already. Why? Because we invested in a generation. We strive to serve. And now, my gosh, he's written a book younger than I ever wrote a book. I mean, he does conferences just like I do. I mean, God's using his life. Well, now, if he's doing him here, what's happened when we get Anila? Come on down here since you're on the wall back there. Anila, how old are you? Huh? She's 21. 21 and already knows the course of life for her, where she needs to go and what God's calling her to do. Now, originally, I think she had some other thoughts until God apprehended her. Now, if she's 21, he's 36, I'm 49, where do you think that girl's going to be when she hits my age of 49? This is what I'm talking about. They're worth the investment. They're worth us doing the work of the ministry. You're worth it. It's not about my retirement. It's about this generation, because one day, should the Lord tarry and I go, I want to be able to look back and God say, Anila, do it. And she's years ahead of you, son. She's years ahead of you. And hopefully we can look past Anila into younger generations and see how she's influenced and how she's turned them. It's worth it. It's worth it all. Thank you. Y'all can go back to work. I, I know you were doing some stuff for camp. I got it. I understand. Amen. But listen, guys, we've got to press on. And you know what? In order for me to have that investment, for they to have investment into another generation, both of them are going to go to camp and invest into a whole other group of people. Is it, is it easy? No. Is it comfortable? No. I mean, oh, that's fun. Yeah. Is it? I mean, Pastor Marcus has got to leave his two boys so he can go. His mom and dad are here that he doesn't see all the time from Oklahoma, and they came to watch the boys that they don't see on a day-to-day -day basis, but they came to watch them so that they could go. So they're in passing. Yet mom and dad realize there's a call on that man's life and I'm going to have to let him go. And it's a privilege for me to watch these kids. And I love it. But the reality is, don't you think they'd love them to live next door in Oklahoma? But God hadn't assigned that. So they take every moment they can because that mama right there, I can tell you, she would much rather, and dad, would much rather them be in God's will than next door. Why? Because they have eternal thought process. Because she knows We'll have plenty of time in eternity to continue to be with each other. This life's but a moment. That's why we've got to attain to, we've got to strive after that which we've called. But we'll only do it if we do what Paul says. We need to forget something. I said we need to forget something. What do we need to forget? First thing we need to forget is our past sins. Again, why do we forget the words so fast, but we can't forget failures fast? I mean, so many people do not do the plan of God because you remember the things you did wrong. You stay in victimhood instead of victoryhood. What does Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 2 says? It says, therefore, there is now, now, immediate present. So if you have a watch, I have a watch, and I have the second hand, and immediate present means right now, so that's right now, 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 right now. Right now, 
right now. Immediate present. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. How would you live if you never blew it? How many people shorten their opportunity to do something great for God because they remember when they did it wrong? It says, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ has set you free from the law of sin and death. I mean, there's many people that won't even step out for God because, well, but what if I blow it? What if I get out there and make a mistake? Seriously? Forget mistakes. Forget sin. You've been redeemed from that life. You can attain to a life that is in obedience. I don't not step out for the sake of blowing it. I step out for the sake of getting it right. I'll get it right. Because if I'm following the steps, if my steps are ordered of the Lord, I mean, I'm not paralyzed in fear that I'm going to make a mistake. I'm going to blow it. That my, my past is going to show up again. And it's amazing. You look at the narrative in, in the news today. I mean, everything's about people's past, their issues, their challenges, the injustices, all kinds of stuff. And people are living there instead of forgetting. You'll never see a future if you're always staring back at your past. The only thing I look back on is God's faithfulness. That's the only thing in my past that I care about. I do not care about anything else. And I do not pull up my past failures. Uh, In fact, I would preach more away from my experiences and more with the Word because it's kind of difficult for me to recall the things I've done wrong. And I've done them. So for me to do one of these examples where I was this, that, and the other, and God calls me to overcome, one of those examples to help you through, God has to remind me of them in one sense. Uh, I don't do it myself. Now, God's not reminding me of my sin because he don't even know I committed sin. He's forgot about it. I'm under the blood. But as far as an example that can help someone, some, he has to I'll get amnesia about it. I'll be like, man, it was all great. Well, what about this and what about that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I did do that. Yeah, that's terrible. Right? I've done this with movies. I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember that movie. That was a good movie. And then you're like, watch, you're like, this is a horrible movie. This is horrible. My mind was jacked up when I was watching this movie. My, my memory was it was great because I have forgot all the sin in it. Don't ever let your kids watch that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, what did you watch when you were a kid? I ain't talking about it. Okay. So past sins, we've got to forget them. The next thing are past failures. Failures are different than sin because there is something different besides sin. It's called a weight. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin that so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. Again, perfecter is not perfect. It's maturing our faith or getting our faith to maturity or in essence, causing our faith to come to pass. We're no longer as we're calling those things that be not as though they were, we actually have what we've called, what we believed, okay? And we see it now. Now it's not faith because it exists. We have it. We're going to the next process of faith. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the same and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Thrones are in kingdoms, not in religions, okay? He, Proverbs chapter 24, verse 16 says this, the godly man may trip seven times, but they will get up again. Yes. Amen. They'll get up again. So again, what is an encumbrance or a weight? That means it's something that you're striving for, but you don't hit the mark, so to speak. Not against God's word, but really against your own desire to do something. Or something that you currently have in life that isn't sinful, but it's kind of hindering you from going deeper. 
One of those things would be you get this impression, man, I just, I need to pray more. So you look at your schedule and you realize the only way this is going to happen is if I get up an hour earlier. So what do you do? You set your little clock. It goes off. You hit snooze. And it goes off again. You hit snooze. And it goes off again. You hit snooze. Then eventually you're up at the same exact time and you're praying, you know, speed praying as you go out the door. Right? Then what happens? You feel bad. Because like, man, I got it. And a whole week that you were going to do something you don't do. Or you do one. You know when you do your goal one day, you're like, wow, I did it. You're like, feel great. Then the next time, ugh. Same thing like with dieting. I'm going to lose 10 pounds. You feel great when you eat good for a week, and then all of a sudden, the brownie shows up. (laughs) There it is. Or you go on a trip, and you're trying to find good, clean food at (laughs) Chick-fil-A. Right? You tend to look for these things. You're like, what's going on? I'm just saying, you can start... Getting upset and think, I'll never, I can't, I try, I don't. What's that? You're not forgetting your past failures. So now all of a sudden, you won't go forward because all you do is keep, yeah, I tried, I tried. You know what? Listen, everything I say is personal to you, but it also applies to other people. I remember one time helping a husband and wife, and and I said, well, you need to just say that to your husband. I'm not. Well, why? Because when I do, they always say. So bottom line is, You already know how they're going to act just because they've already acted that way, but you never believe that they'll change. So because you won't forget their past responses, you can't go forward and you're cutting off communication. It's irrelevant whether they respond the same way. Because I can give you a scripture where somebody didn't care about the same response. And they kept showing up with the same response until it got a different response. And that was the woman who went to the judge that had some land. She goes, you need to give me some, my due process. He said, I don't care about you. Leave. She come back the next day. Leave. Come back the next day. Leave. And said, this guy didn't have fear of God or man. But that woman kept showing up. He's like, my gosh, give this woman her due process. Give her, she's wearing me out showing up all the time. Why don't you just wear somebody out in love? Just keep bringing love to the table. Keep bringing love to the table. Keep bringing love to the table. Now, why, do you, why don't you forget getting mad, forget getting angry, forget getting in the flesh, and just keep bringing love to the table. Keep bringing love to the table. Keep bringing love to the table. Now, define love properly because love is not acceptance. Okay? Because love brings to come to the table and say, you done, you got to go. Some relationships, that's how it needs to be. I'm not talking about husband and wife. I'm just talking about, you know, people that you start going after and you're like, you know what? You're just not living up and we're not together. You need to go get right with God. Then we can have a conversation. I love you, but I'm not going to be around you. And love will do that. I said, love will do that. Okay. But you want to bring love to it. Now you're in a marriage relationship. That's a whole nother ball game. You got to bring love to the table. But what happens? You know, she done me wrong. He done me wrong. He said this, he done that. Next thing you know, we're talking about 10 years of stuff. We thought that was forgiven. Are you with me? Hallelujah. No, we got to go. I've even been in situations where there's husband and wife and sexual immorality has happened. And I look at them straight. I said, listen, if you're going to choose to stay in this marriage right now and you're going to say that I forgive them, you'll never be able to come back and say, now you know they cheated on me and get out a year later. It doesn't happen because the minute forgiveness hits, it's as if it never happened. 
So you better think long and hard of the road you're going to go down, and God's well able to cause you to overcome and win and get back at stored in a way that, man, it's like heaven on earth in your life. Because the Word's just that good. Amen. But it's a process. But if you work with them and they work with God, they'll always overcome. If they see themselves not as victim, but as victor, they'll always get there. And this is what Paul's saying. Press there. You've got to forget things that keep you from the victory. Not only yourself, but with others. You may fall. Get up. Jump up, man. It's okay. You're going to make it. The third thing that you need to do uh, uh, to forget about is past offenses. Offenses. Matthew chapter 18, verse 7 says, Woe to the world because of offenses. For offenses must come, but woe to, to the man to whom the offense comes. All right? So again, you don't want to be a person that says, Man, I'm going to do something to trip them up. You don't want to be that person. You don't. I've been around people like that. I've been around people who try to trip me up. Their life does not bode well afterwards. I'm telling you. I'm telling you, if people would just sit back and say, hmm, let's examine someone living and loving God and their righteous life and how much they care, and then see anyone that's kind of come against that and tried to stop that, let's see how those lives mirror, and let's start connecting dots. And you can see that when a person gets, tries to bring offense and cause little ones to stumble and cause people to try to cause a stumbling, their life goes down a road that's horrible. Yeah. Horrible. It fall, and it may not show up immediately, but it always shows up. Never does it hesitate to show up. So when he says, woe to the one who brings the offense, and notice it says, they, they come. They must come. Look at your neighbor and say, offenses come. You can't stop them from coming. You're not going to get in a little bubble. The church will not stop offenses from coming. If I just go to church and worship the Lord all the time, then I'll never get offended. You'll get offended with, with something at church. Why do I know this? Because if you're at that church that's preaching the word, then Jesus said they were offended because of my word. Now, we can't go, whoa, Jesus. You offended me? No, what well, Jesus is saying, I'm going to give you the standard of truth and godliness. And you can get offended by it if you want to keep your way of doing it. And that's where they were. They got offended because of like, who's he think he is talking? Man, what? Remember, they said to Jesus, isn't this Joseph's boy, the carpenter? Hadn't his brother said, and they recognize he's preaching with authority. Where, where does man get this kind of authority from? What's he saying? He's talking about you need to live like this. We need to walk like this. The kingdom of God's like that. And they're like, kind of authority is this? What kind of demand on our lives to attain to this is he doing? Don't we know his parents? Didn't we used to run in the street with him? Now, I'm not talking sinfully running in the street. I'm talking about playing in the street. Then we grow up, and it says, and they were offended by him. Amen. I don't understand how pastors pastor churches and try not to offend anybody. Now, I'm not trying to offend you. But the minute I preach a word and you get offended, and, I, and I'll meet when you say, what did the word say? Then at that point, it's on you. But it's amazing how people will compromise the word just to keep a person. We're not building a, uh, a crowd, we're building a church. And a church can get crowded when people follow and love God and mature. Amen. Hallelujah. And we want to get people to a place of maturity. But you got to you got to forget those things. You can't. It's amazing how many people's purposes are paralyzed because they get offended. They get offended. 
And some people that get offended, the person who offended them doesn't even know they did it. I've had people call from the church before and say, hey, we've missed you. Yeah. You know, y'all just aren't friendly. I saw a pastor in, you know, Walmart. He didn't wave at me. <laughs> they in Walmart? I mean, I, you know how many people are in Walmart? Right? I mean, sometimes I'm like, I'm just trying to keep the list in my head. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm like, Pastor Marshall, what do we need? And I usually have it on my phone. I'll make the list. I'm a list guy, right? And I'm like, okay. And, and I may see Vicky right there. I'd be like, and she's right there by, and I'm just so focused on my list, I don't even see Vicky. Vicky's like, Pastor Earl's still right by me and got his, you know, uh, great grains cereal and left the aisle. Didn't even say, hey. It's true. It's happened. The ones I hate the worst is when I'm driving, all of a sudden I, I recognize in my peripheral vision as they go by and as their hands going down that somebody in the church waved at me and I didn't return the wave. <laughs> ah! I mean, you almost want to turn around and go, hey, I seen that hand. I, I just want you to know, I saw your hand. Don't get upset. <laughs> I mean, 10 and 2 is what I was doing. <laughs> right? I mean, silly stuff. But again, people hold on to that. They hold on to the offenses uh, to their nation, hold on to the offenses of their race. They hold on to the offenses uh, of economic uh, trouble. They hold on to offenses of, uh, of, of not great education. I mean, all kinds of stuff because they won't forget it. And if you don't forget your sin and other people's sins, if you won't forget your mistakes and other people's mistakes, and if you won't forget uh, things that we offended you and other people's offenses, then you're never going to reach the prize. Never going to reach. The last one's this. You got to forget the, the, the ways you used to do things, how you did things in the past. You got to forget it. 1 Corinthians 11 or 13, 11 says this. When I was a child, I spake like as a child and I understood as a child. I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. So there comes a point that you got to say, man, I got to change the way I do things, you know? Now, you may think once a week is good enough for church. You may think that once a month is good enough for church. You may think once a quarter is good enough for church. But I could submit to you that Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25 says, do not forsake the assembling of yourself together and all the more as the day draws near. So in essence, I can guarantee you the head of the church is not saying, stay home, it's okay. You work hard this week, you need to rest. No, he's not saying that. So when I got into the kingdom of God and started following Jesus, I began to say, what do you need me to do? He says, well, you know, you got to simple. I got things to instruct you. I got people over you to give you instruction to help grow you up because, you know, the world don't care about you and the devil still wants to kill you. In fact, even all the more now. Right? 168 hours in a week. Amen. And you come to one two-hour service at Anchor Faith Church in a month. So you do the math. Seven times 168 minus two. That's how much. Well, I pray. Listen, it doesn't matter what you do. I don't care that you're reading the Bible. I don't care. You are violating that scripture. You're placed in the body. Well, I'm in the body. You're not in the body unless you're functioning with it. I mean, I'd cut my finger off right now. It's still my finger. Throw it over here on the side. And we can watch that thing shrivel up. 
over the next three days, but it's still in the, it's still my body, but it's not in my body because it's not attached. It doesn't have the life supply. That's why you'll never attain to. Paul, the minute he hears Jesus, listen, I've called you to establish. He had to be with the churches. He's like, man, I got to go back and figure out what's going on. He didn't say, you know, I established five churches. All right, who's my little uh, Kingdom Institute, you know, uh, uh, Old Testament survey? How many, how many of Paul's missionary journeys did he establish the first one? Y'all know? Okay, we just look. Corinthians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. We know about those churches, the Galatian church, right? There's a few others that he did. I'll just stay with five, okay? All right, I don't mean to put you on the spot. You know? Seven churches, maybe. Okay. Here's the thing. The guy, care, he could have said, I've established churches, I'm retiring, this is good. Let them take care of themselves. I put leadership there. No, he's like, we need to go find out how they're doing. Why? Because the call compelled him to have to stay. In fact, his writing here in Philippians, this is the same book that he says, I'm betwixt between two places, whether to go on to be with the Lord, which is far better, or remain here with you. And, he, and there were churches he hadn't even established yet. But he's like, my life's not my own. And you know what? I was apprehended for something, and I can't quit now. Can't quit now. I got to press on. I got to get up and do. And this is what he's saying. You know what I learned? I got to forget that stuff. I just got to go to the next thing. I got to get up and go to the next thing. I got to get up and go to the next thing. Until eventually one day in his life, he was able to pin to his, his son Timothy and say, I have fought the good fight. I have run my race. I have finished my course. You want to be a finisher, not a starter. Amen? You want to be a finisher, not a starter. So again, we see here that there's a thinking we've got to do away with. The last scripture is this in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 20 to 25. The message reads it this way. But, that, but that's no life for you. You learned Christ. My assumption is that you have uh, uh, paid careful attention to him, been well instructed in the truth precisely as we have, uh, have it in Jesus since then. We do not have the excuse of ignorance. Everything, and I do mean everything, connected with the old way of life has to go. Say, it's got to go. It's got to go, guys. You got to get rid of that. You cannot bring that thinking into the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God says repent, which means change your thinking. Your thinking outside of me was junk, guys. You need to change. Paul was actually trying to go get God. In his thinking, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees, according to the law, found blameless. But when Jesus spoke to him on the road to Damascus, he said, he said, son, you're going the wrong way. He said, who are you, Lord? He said, I'm Jesus, the one you're persecuting. You stay on this road, it's problematic for you. But Paul says, all right, I'll pursue God your way. And when he examined all the things he had done and all the rewards he had had from man, from his pursuits of God, he says, when I put them up against Christ, they, they are dung. They smell like poop in the nostrils of God. I got to change the way I do this. You can't bring your way of doing God to church. You got to let the church transform your thinking, the word of God, and you do God his way. Because that's where you'll have the fullness and rise to maturity. He goes on and says this. He says, listen. Everything connected with the old way of life has to go. It's rotten through and through. Get rid of it. And then take on an entirely new way of life. A God-fashioned life. A life rewarded from the inside, working itself in your uh, conduct as God accurately reproduces His character in you.
Amen. You know what? I've been around some people that, man, the more they pursue, the quicker they grow. Really is. And if they will forget the things we talked about, they always succeed. They don't come to me about problems of the past. They don't come to me about mistakes. They don't bring up the past. They're always focused towards the future. That when a wrong comes, they get into a place where they apply what love says. Love does not take into account of suffered wrong. It lets it go. It just leaves it alone. Let's it go. Let's it go. And when we do that, my, 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 our lives will be forever changed. Amen. If you're here today and you've never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, I encourage you to get in the kingdom of God. It's the best life ever. Because you are condemned and that's why you feel this way. You are guilty because that's why, and that's why you feel this way. Is because a life outside of the blood of Jesus being applied to you, then you feel guilty. But God doesn't want you to. He already paid the price. How do you get out of the guilt and condemnation of life? The blood of Jesus. You have to believe with all your heart, meaning you, you believe it. Jesus came 2,000 years ago. He died on the cross. He shed his blood for my wrongdoing. And the Holy Spirit raised him from the dead on the third day. I didn't have to see it, but I believe that event took place according to the word. And I make Jesus supreme in authority in my life. I submit today to his leading in my life. I'm his. And man, when you do that, the Bible says you'll be a new creature in Christ. The old will pass away. Behold, all things will become new. Your spirit, man, will come alive to God. The third person of the Godhead, God himself, the Holy Spirit, will come and live inside you and bear witness with you. You'll walk out of here knowing you're right with God. Then that same spirit will say, now we got to change your thinking. You got to forget how you've done life. I got it. There's a whole new way of living. And I'm going to teach and train you as you go to church. And as you are in the Word, and as you fellowship with me, I'll radically change you forever. And the next thing you know, you'll be moving mountains, you'll be killing giants, you'll be a victor, you'll be overcoming, your marriage will be restored, you'll be prospering, you'll get promotions, you'll have more influence, you'll be the head, not the tail, you'll be above and not beneath, you'll always be over and never under, you'll always be succeeding, you'll always go through every trial, and though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you won't have fear, you'll walk in perfect peace, you'll have the joy of God, you'll always walk in victory, victory, victory. Because you're the child of a king. And we teach that here. That's who we are. We're kingdom citizens. Victorious. Over to, able to overcome every conflict, trial, and tribulation because of Christ in us. We do it his way. So if that's you, say, Pastor Earl, I want that life. A life of overcoming. I want to be right with God and I want to have a life that...